0: Was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church, for more sermon audio, or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. To say that this is a joy for me to be here with y'all this morning is an understatement, I can't even tell you how excited I am about this morning, and it's a, this is a time that I have looked forward to for quite some time, as, as Justin made reference to. We came on staff to partner with Stone Oak Bible uh, in the fall of 2015, and we moved here from Connecticut. I had served as a pastor of youth and young adults and really felt like God was leading us to pursue church planting and didn't know where, and just began to pray, and connected with some people, and Really felt like God was leading us to San Antonio, Texas. And we were towards the end of adopting a little girl from Uganda. And it was kind of a crazy season uh, in our lives. We didn't know anybody in San Antonio until we started to connect with Justin and some of y'all here at Stone Oak. And so we moved down and in this really interesting time in the life of our family. And you all just loved on us and welcomed us and surrounded us in community. And we have been so blessed to be here. And, um, It's just amazing. And even the way you supported us through bringing our little girl home. (laughs) (laughs) Man, last night my wife told me, she said, you know, it's going to be emotional tomorrow. And I said, no, it's not. And she said, yes, it is. She said, this is, you know, one of the last services that we'll be here with y'all. And she's like, it's going to be emotional. And I said, nah, no, dude, I, we, no, no, not a problem. It's not going to be emotional. Well, she, she was right. Um, so I'm just going to get it out now, right? So, I mean, you all have loved us so well. And we are so encouraged and excited. And we, I mean, really, it is a joy um, to be here. And as Justin said, I mean, we came and joined the staff to be sent out. And so this is a powerful Sunday for us. And before we jump in and, and get started, I promise I will hold it together, or pull it together, not hold, pull it together. Um, I just want to thank two quick people. Number one, Bob Rowley, um, our superintendent, is here with his wife, Joanne. And when we were sorting out what God was, where God was leading us, he said, you know, man, I have you thought about church planting and partnering with us? And this is you know, kind of our vision and this is what we're doing and planting churches that plant churches. And we have this culture of multiplication and we are so excited. And there's a guy that I want you to meet and his name is Justin Evans. And I think you guys will connect. And so we started connecting and Justin came to one of our assessments and and Bob was very instrumental in not only uh, kind of helping us get down here, um, but also in going to bat for us and, and helping to equip us as we plant Mission Community Church. And so thank you to Bob and Joanne and their faithful. And also, Justin, um, I promise I will get all this emotion out and I will be good to go. Um, but man, when we came down here and connected with Justin, he was like, you know what? What if, what if you were to partner with us and we're a church plant? And I thought to myself, that, that's crazy. Like we're a church plant, you know, gonna be planting a church. Why would we we partner with the church plant? And, you know, I don't know if they have the resources and what's this gonna look like and they're just getting started out, should we? Will they have people? And, and you know, we began to pray and really realize this is what God was leading us to. And man, I have appreciated the way he stepped out in faith and the way that God has honored that. And it has just been amazing. And and they have become brothers to me. And I I, I love... Um, being here and I love this church and so again my wife was right I promise um, I will pull it together and we are we are good Um, but so so the past year plus I've done a lot of thinking about the church what is the church What's the purpose of the church? Why the church? And the church is God's people. What are some distinct distinctions of the church and what are some characteristics of us as the people of God and who are we as the church? And had a lot of wonderful conversations that have been very thought provoking for me and done a lot of reading and, and searching in the scriptures as far as like, who are we as God's people? And one of the guys that I have studied a lot of is the most prominent church planter uh, throughout all history and very prominent in the New Testament, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is a man who was captured by uh, the gospel and captivated by the gospel. And the Holy Spirit broke through in his life and he committed his life to the advancement of the gospel. And Paul would go and he would start churches and he would start churches that start churches. And he began to disciple and mentor people and the gospel began to spread and be advanced. And, and today we're gonna look at a letter uh, that he wrote to the, to a church in the prominent city of Thessalonica. And Paul actually planted this church, the Thessalonica church. And so I want you to imagine for me, or with me for a second, that you are the Apostle Paul. And you're on this your second missionary journey, and you have two people that are with you, two men that you've been pouring into and investing in and, and discipling, uh, Silas and Timothy. And you go to this prominent city of Thessalonica, which is the capital of Macedonia. And you go, and this place is just teeming with people. And so you go with your two um, you know, you're two apprentices, if you will, and you go and find the Jewish synagogue and you start to talk to them and explain to them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the response blows you away. And people start coming to know Jesus and you get excited and and prominent people in their community start converting to the gospel and you're like super stoked. And you start to invest in these people and build leaders and eventually a church forms and you're pouring into them and you're investing in them and and you've kind of started this church and you're nurturing them. Well, as this is happening and as this church is growing, you would be super encouraged and super excited about what the Lord's doing and you would want to be with these people. But at the same time, there's some opposition that rises up against you that becomes hostile and angry, and there's this mob, and they're, they're out for you because they want to stop the message that you're spreading, and they, they start making threats. And this church that you started says, you know what, Paul, you, you and your guys, you better get out of here, and it's not safe for you anymore. So in the middle of the night, you leave with your, your guys, and you go um, to another place to do it all over again. And what ends up happening to Paul is that he goes to this place called Berea and then ends up uh, in Athens and then goes and finally he finds himself in Corinth and he's alone because he, he goes and he starts these churches, but then he has to leave because opposition arises. And so he finds himself alone in Corinth by himself. And imagine how you'd be feeling. You'd probably be wondering, like, why, why am I going to these places and I'm pouring myself out and building up these leaders and then I have to leave? Like, I want to be with this church. I want to be able to nurture them. I want to be able to shepherd them. They're, they're young in their faith. Paul was only with them, some believe, uh, as much, as long as six weeks. So he didn't get a whole lot of time with the church in Thessalonica. And you'd be fearful, wondering, are they still continuing what's going on? Are they, are they able to continue in the advancement of the gospel? I'm not there to help them. And you'd be wondering, and that's exactly how Paul was feeling. In 1 Corinthians 2, it tells us that Paul was afraid, he was fearful, he was tired, and he was weary, and he was discouraged. And so he's there in Corinth after he had this experience in Thessalonica, and he's wondering what is going on. And keep in mind, Paul can't check his Twitter account. He can't like, hey, wonderful worship service in Thessalonica, and man, we're advancing the gospel. You know, he can't pick him up and pick up his cell phone and call. He doesn't have a phone. He can't you know, get on, online and check their Facebook account. He doesn't have that opportunity. So he's wondering what is happening in Thessalonica. But then... Uh, Silas and Timothy rejoin Paul in Corinth and they give him this wonderful report. And they say, listen, Paul, hey, the gospel is advancing in Thessalonica. That church that you started is thriving. They are growing. The Holy Spirit is doing amazing things in them. And it is incredible what's happening. And they're being used by God to advance the gospel. And imagine how Paul would feel I mean, that had to bless his soul in ways he didn't even think was possible. And he was so encouraged by, by this news and by this report. And so this is the context by which he writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And he writes this to them. One of the first letters that Paul wrote to any church. And he, he writes this to the Thessalonian church and talks about how encouraged he is by what he's heard and, and so grateful and thankful for their example. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? 1 Thessalonians chapter one. Again, Paul writes to them, and in this first chapter he writes about how encouraged he is by their example. I'm gonna begin reading in verse one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Silvanus is another word for, another name for Silas. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Peace. and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only is the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves, reporting, to report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Paul writes this letter to the church in 1 Thessalonians, and we see right away that Paul addresses them as the church, and the first point this morning is that the church is a called-out people. This word used in um, in verse 1 means a called-out people, and Paul also reiterates this in verse 4 where Paul says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, Paul says very clearly he knew that the Thessalonians had been chosen by God. You know, this doctrine of divine election and being chosen by God, what does all of this mean? And and sometimes it it frightens people and is, is a little like alarming and puts people on edge a little bit. And I'm sure that there's different thoughts and opinions about this in this room and trying to figure out how does all of this work? What does it mean that God chooses us and what is the doctrine of election? But then even in the text, we see that they received it and so what's the role of, of man and what's the role of God and how does all of this work? Now, if you want a perfect explanation so you can really understand this, see Justin after the service. He knows exactly how all of this works together. Um, but what's very, very, right, he's, he's got it right here. It'll be right here. Um, but, but what's, what's clear in all of this, again, we could be here for hours talking about this, but what's clear is that salvation is the work of God. Salvation is the work of God. God saves. There's nothing we can do of our own, but it's salvation is a work of God. This is prevalent in the writings of Paul and in his letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes in chapter one that he has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And what we're going to see this morning is that God doesn't only call us out for salvation, but also calls us out to accomplish his purposes. That God has chosen the church to be used by him, not only to experience salvation, but to advance the gospel and to accomplish his purposes. Jesus, in John 17, refers to believers as those who the Father gave him out of the world. And seven times he says that in chapter 17. And, and this is what Jesus says about his followers. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. God uses his followers, and he chooses his followers, calls them out, not only for salvation, but to use them to advance the gospel. And we're going to see in a few minutes, we'll expound on this, but this is exactly what's happening in the church of Thessalonica, that they're used by God for the advancement of the gospel and to accomplish his purposes. So just speaking practically for a second, what does this mean for you and me today? What does this mean for us here at Stone Oak Bible Church? I mean, that we are a called out people. What are the implications of that? I mean, first and foremost, I think that it should produce a humility in us. That there's nothing we can do on our own, but salvation alone is a work of God, and we just say, Lord, thank you. That I can't, I can't do anything myself, and it should, should make us a people who are humble and humbled. It should also drive us to worship. And to praise God and to thank him for this salvation. But also, I think that there's a tremendous responsibility that we have to to understand the calling that we have on our lives and that our lives are far greater than ourselves. And they're about so much more than just living for my craft, but that I am able to be used by God and I'm called out and sent out by God to further and advance the gospel through the Holy Spirit at work in my life. And there's, there is, that is incredible, and there's many implications to that, and there's a responsibility that we have of recognizing that weight. And the church is a called-out people. Are we recognizing ourselves as a called-out people? Do we see the purpose that God has for us? Is this driving us to, to worship him and leaving us humbled and understanding our responsibility to live as a called-out and sent-out people? But we see that not only is the church a called out people, we see that they are changed by the power of the gospel. Verse 4 says that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. In power, the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit produced great fruit in their lives, and they received the gospel in power. In power. The power of God produced great change in their lives. In verse nine, it says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They were serving idols and they literally turned and there was change in their life. The power of God broke through and there, there was a change and they were no longer serving idols. They're no longer living for themselves, but now they're worshiping and living for the one true God. And I love now when Paul hears about this church in Thessalonica and when he thinks about them rather than thinking about a group of people who are worshiping idols and thinking are living for themselves. Listen to what he thinks about them and what he remembers about them. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul thinks about them, this is what he thinks about. Their faith in Jesus produced work in their life. And they were living out the gospel. Their actions were accompanying their faith. Their love produced labor. This implies that they were straining and that they were working and toiling. And even this word means sweat producing. That they're laboring in love. Their hope produced patience, which is the long suffering endurance not only needed to survive hard times, but to triumph through them. And the power of God was radically on display in the way that they were living. Experiencing God's power isn't something just written in this letter uh, to the church in Thessalonica. I love what he says to the church in Rome in chapter one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. And a lot of times I say this to myself before I ever get up and communicate God's word and understanding, listen, I have nothing to offer. I literally have nothing to offer. It is only the gospel, and so I'm gonna proclaim it because, listen, it's all I've got. And I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. And then you know what he says in, to the church in Corinth in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is one of great power. Do you believe that this morning? Do we believe that as followers, we have access to this tremendous power through the Holy Spirit of the living God? I wanna ask you, what would it look like if we as God's people understood that we were people of power? Because I think all too often we as Christians walk around not understanding the power that we've been given. Paul says that the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. Do we believe that? Because a lot of times I think that we as as Christians walk around not knowing the power that is within us. And in thinking about this point, I was reminded of an illustration from uh, the Lord of the Rings. Are there any Lord of the Rings fans in here? Okay, all three of you, awesome. Um, So the second volume is called The Two Towers. And and in the second volume, there's this group of ancient trees called the Ents. They're these massive, huge, ancient trees that that are are super, super, super ginormous, right? Right? And they're kind of a passive and and deliberate people, people, I mean by people I mean group of trees, right? So they're this group of trees and and they're pretty deliberate and just kind of sit back, right? But they're super strong, super powerful, but they don't really exercise. And so they just kind of sit back. Well, there's this evil ruler named Saruman who starts destroying their forests and wreaking havoc and his evil is just spreading everywhere. And so finally the ants decide, you know what, we're going to do something about this. And they convene as a group. And they decide, hey, we're not going to take this anymore, and we're going to go after him, and we're going to uh, plan an all-out assault on Sauruman. And so they convene and decide, we're going to conduct the march of the Ents. And so they start going, and they start marching, and they start moving, and they're they are on a mission to destroy this man, or this, this ruler, Sauruman. And they go for it, and they just start wrecking shop. To the point of their voices alone are so thunderous and so powerful that the sound of their voices caused the destruction of Saruman's reign. And that they just speak and bam, this guy is destroyed. And they had this power within them that destroyed the evil that was around them. And that made me think because I wonder how many of us are walking around and we're not exercising or allowing the power to move in us the way, just like these ants that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, I think if I were to ask you, do you believe that's a pretty amazing miracle? You would all say, yeah, we believe that. But do you believe that that resides in you and that that lives in me? Because we are people of power. And that's why Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and it's on display in my life. And there's so many implications for this. And, you know, as I was... Driving yesterday, I had my uh, two oldest girls in in my truck with me, and I was listening to the radio. And this song by Jeremy Camp came on, and it's called Same Power. And this is what he says. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us. We have hope that his promises are true in his strength. There is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know there are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. And this church in Thessalonica, they didn't just receive the gospel in word, but in great power through the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. You know, I wonder why so many people who claim to be Christians and followers of Jesus walk around defeated and walk around as if there's no hope, but if we know that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us, that produces this hope. That produces, listen, this, this, there are greater things in store. There are greater things um, yet to come for us because of what God's done. And we are people of power, you know, and there are implications in every area of our life that there's no strongholds that are too great for the power of God to break through in our lives. There's so many implications, but even in the area of evangelism. You know, I was thinking about this. How many of us are timid and afraid to share our faith? How many of us wonder, you know, I, I don't know, like I don't should I should we share in our neighborhoods? What if we think that people are gonna think that we're fanatics or I don't know if I should share in my workplace because what are people gonna think about me and we kind of cower in fear, but God is at work in us, and he wants to use us to accomplish his purposes, and his power is displayed in our lives, and so are we allowing that power to flow through us? And for this church, they received the gospel in great. Power. Not only are they a called out people and they're changed by the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit, we see that they receive the gospel with great conviction. They receive the gospel with full conviction. I absolutely love the phrase that Paul chooses. He says they receive the gospel with full conviction. And the word conviction means to be firmly convinced of what one believes. This wasn't something that this church held to loosely. that they kind of sort of believed when it was convenient for them, but they received it with total and full conviction. I mean, remember, they were surrounded by a group of people that were hostile to the gospel. It would have been easy for them to cave and to fold, but they were convinced that the gospel was true. They hadn't created any wishy-washy concoction of Christianity but they received it in full conviction and began to imitate Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they began to put into practice the things that they have been taught, and they wanted their lives to reflect the life of Jesus and imitate him in all things. And Paul makes reference to the trials that they're going through and the things that they're facing all around them. But they have this joy in the Holy Spirit because they received the gospel with full conviction. And when the going gets tough in their lives, their faith proves true because they received it with full conviction. They turned away from their idols. They didn't have one foot in and one foot out, but they said, hey, we are gonna turn away from our idols and worship God because we've received it with full conviction. I wonder how many people today who claim to be Christians and followers of Jesus receive the gospel with full conviction. I have a quick little illustration. Thomas, can you come up here and stand right here, buddy? Kat, can you come stand right in the middle? And I'll pick on Colin. Can you come stand right over here for me, man? So I've got our three volunteers. You can stand kind of right by the podium. But volunteers, right? Um, and so Thomas over here is gonna, gonna, we're gonna call him a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian. And a cultural Christian is someone, hey, I live in America, and you know, I'm, I'm not Muslim. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not Hindu. Christian. Okay, cool. You know, I, this is kind of what I mean. Maybe I've been to church, you know, when, when I was little, and uh, that's cool. And I'm down with being a Christian, and so I'm a, I'm a Christian. Do you know that 70 to 75% of people in our country claim to be Christian? And a lot of them are cultural Christians, and they identify with Christianity because it's reflected in some way in their culture. Over here, Miss Cat is what we're going to call a congregational Christian. A congregational Christian is one who claims to be a Christian, and their Christianity, it means to them that they are uh, associated with a group of people or a body of believers or a congregation. And, and so for them, what it means to be a Christian and follower of Jesus is that they go to church, and that they're associated with and affiliated with a church. And they may even be a wonderful Christian, and they don't miss too many Sundays. And they may be an incredible Christian, and they're even a part of a small group. <laughs> and for congregational Christians, Christianity is largely uh, what I do and who I'm a part of is this body of believers. But when it comes Monday morning... And when it comes to how I want to live and the the purpose for my life and the reason for my life, yeah, you know what, I'm good. I'm good, I'm okay. Because I'm part of a congregation and that's what it means for me to be a Christian. But over here, our friend Colin, he is what we call a convicted Christian. A convicted Christian is one who is convinced to their core and the truth of the gospel and their lives are oriented around the gospel. Everything that they do is fueled by the gospel and they understand that they are a vessel of the Holy Spirit and that they, their life is far greater than just being, a, they still wanna be a part of a congregation. I'm not knocking being part of a church. Please don't hear that. But, but what for, for these people, they've received the gospel with full conviction and everything they do in their life is about the gospel. Yes, they're still gonna struggle with sin. Yes, they still have issues, but they understand that the mission and purpose for their life is about Jesus and about the advancement of the gospel and they are a convicted Christian. So when it comes to the things that they watch, when it comes to the things that they do, when it comes to how they speak or the way that they act, when it comes to the mission in their neighborhoods, when it comes to the mission in their workplaces, or when it comes to how they spend their money and how they use their time and their resources and their talents and treasures, it is through the lens of the gospel And they understand, listen, I have received the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I immediately thought of this this song, you know, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. My life is not my own, and I'm convinced this is true, and I'm gonna live for it. And so we have our, our cultural Christians, our congregational Christians, and our convicted Christians. And if I were to ask you this morning, honestly, if you were to come up here and stand in one of these camps, where would you be? Where would you be? My best guess is, Thomas, you can have a seat. My best guess is most of you are probably not over here. Most of you understand your Christianity is a little more than just, hey, I live in America. That's my guess. I mean, you're part of a church. You go to church. You're here this morning, right? My best guess is, if, I, if I'm to be honest, and I put myself in this bracket too, my best guess is that a lot of us are doing a dance between two and three. Yes, I can dance. Just ask Justin, I can dance. But we're doing a dance between two and three. And we're like, you know what? I, I know that the gospel is more than just going to church and being a part of a small group. But, but man, when it comes to the, my life, you know, there's things I'm holding on to. And I, I like doing my own thing. I don't know some of the decisions, you know, I like, I, you know, my budget's tight already. I don't really know. I mean, I know that the gospel says to give generously and radically, but I don't know because that's uncomfortable, and it's, it's difficult, and I don't, you know, there's things that I want to pursue on my own, and so we're doing a dance, but you know what? You guys can both have a seat. Thank you. The church in Thessalonica, they received the gospel with full conviction, and it affected everything about them. And again, this wasn't something that they were one foot in and one foot out, but they said, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives broke through and they were committed to the gospel. And they devoted their lives and dedicated their lives and everything about them was oriented around the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're gonna see is not only is the church a called out people and they're changed by the power of the gospel and they're convicted by the Holy Spirit And they receive the gospel with full conviction, but we see the church is used to advance the gospel. The church is used to advance the gospel. Verse seven starts, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Ikea. Paul commends the church for being an example. And this word example in the Greek literally is used to describe a seal that, that marked wax or a stamp that minted coins. And Literally, when people encountered the Thessalonian church, there was a mark that was placed on them. And they were used by everybody that they came in contact with. They made an impression on them for the gospel. And Paul picks up on the same theme in verse 8. And the word of the Lord sounded forth and gone forth everywhere. Verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Icaea, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. And this Greek word literally means sounded out, and actually means to sound out as a trumpet. But the church in Thessalonica, they weren't trumpeting out and sounding out their and tooting their own horns like the Pharisees did, but they were literally trumpeting the gospel and proclaiming to everyone around them what Jesus had done. And it and the gospel began to spread. Wherever the Thessalonians went, the gospel was heard, and it resulted in a local outreach to Thessalonica, a national outreach in Macedonia and Ikea, and an international outreach to the regions beyond. And the impact of the gospel wasn't just for this church body, but it was to go and to advance and to go forth from them mightily. Their devotion to the gospel resulted in a commitment to see the gospel advance and go forth. And every local group of believers is to be used by God to to accomplish much more than they can just on their own. And they're to be used by God to advance the gospel. We see this throughout the teachings of Jesus in the gospels and in the book of Acts. There's special commissions that Jesus does where he sends out his disciples and that we're to be a people who go and continue to advance and proclaim the gospel. Matthew 28, the very famous Great Commission all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That Jesus is to sends out his disciples to continue to go and make disciples. And Acts 1.8, it's really powerful. I mean, and, and really captures what's happening in Thessalonica. You know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Judea, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The, the gospel impacts them and then they go forth mightily. The church in Thessalonica, they experienced the gospel and they were used by God to advance the gospel through the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And as Justin shared at the beginning of the service, I love what Stone Oak Bible Church is committed to because it's, it's biblical. I mean, imagine that, a church that's committed to the Bible, right? And to wanting to do the things of the Bible and, and to follow the Bible. And, and this isn't something that we're doing because, oh, we, we just want to be cool and play at churches. This is what the Bible talks about, advancing the gospel and allowing God to use us to impact different parts of our city. And it's amazing for me, I mean, really, truly, and I I can't overstate how significant this is to have the opportunity to be sent from you to go into a different portion of our city that Justin said, you know what, you guys can't reach on your own. And so to call somebody in and to equip them and, and build them up and to send them out and that we're gonna be a church that's committed to planting churches that plant churches and to advance the gospel just as we saw this church in Thessalonica doing. You know, The need is great. I'm I'm sure you all have known this, um, but even as I started to research early on in our journey before we were committed to coming here, learning about what's happening in the state of Texas and specifically in San Antonio, I mean, it's crazy how fast this area is growing. I did some research the other day. Do you know that five out of the 11 fastest growing cities in the country are in the state of Texas? And the third fastest growing city, just in terms of addition by population, is San Antonio. And the projections for San Antonio over the next 20 to 25 years, they're projecting 1.1 million people to move to San Antonio. And we saw a news story where our councilmen are literally bracing for this growth boom. And they're trying to figure out, hey, yeah, this is great that we're growing, but where are we going to put all these people? And what are we gonna do with them? And I'm sitting back as a church planter going, yes, you know, this is awesome. You don't wanna be a church that plants churches because the population is growing. And listen, the, the most effective method of evangelism, of sharing the gospel, is to plant churches. Do you know that um, a, a church that's 10 years old or older, you, just think of a number in your head, how many people it takes to see one person come to know Christ in a church 10 years old or older. It's 89 to 1. But in a church three years old or younger, I want you to think of a number. How many people does it take usually to see someone come to know Christ? These are, again, our statistics three, three to one. Planting churches that plant churches that plant churches is the most effective method of evangelism. And in Thessalonica, literally, this church was being used to go forth everywhere and advance the gospel. And as I said, I am so encouraged that that's the heart of Stone Oak Bible Church. And I'm encouraged that that's the heart of Mission Community Church, to be a church that's committed to advancing the gospel, not for our sake at all but for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom and to see people come to know Christ. And I want to invite our, our band to come forward um, as, we, as they're going to play a, a final song for us this morning. And as they do that, I just want to just encourage you to spend some time reflecting on this. You know, that we see this church, it's literally a called out people that they're called out by God, not just to experience salvation, but to be used by him to accomplish his purposes And that they're changed by the power of the gospel at work in their lives. And that they receive the gospel with full conviction and they are here and they're saying, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. And this gospel demands my soul, my life, my all. And I'm not doing any of this, you know, one foot in, one foot out. I'm not trying to create my own little Christianity just to appease my conscience. It's far greater than me just being a part of a congregation. But I'm all in and I've received it with full conviction. And Lord Jesus, would you use me to advance the gospel? Would you use me to proclaim the gospel so that people come to know you everywhere? And as we, you know, as they lead us, I just want us to be thinking about this. Maybe taking inventory of our lives and maybe there's areas of our life where we're like, you know what, I, I'm holding on to something. Maybe I need to let it go. And maybe I need to say, Jesus, hey, Holy Spirit, would you, would you break through in this area of my life? I wanna be open, I wanna be used by you for your kingdom and glory. And so would you just stand, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for Stone Oak Bible Church, I wanna pray for Mission Community Church, that we would be people who are ambassadors for Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in our lives, just as we see in this wonderful church in Thessalonica. Father, I again am humbled to stand here today. Lord, I'm humbled by your faithfulness and by your grace to me. Lord, I love what Paul says to Timothy, you know, that, Lord, I'm the chief of sinners and it's only by the gospel and only by your grace, Father, that you would use us and and God, we have nothing to offer. And Lord, I I thank you that you have chosen us and you've called us and that you sent us and that you've changed us through the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives and you've convicted us and you wanna use us to advance your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray we'd be open. I I thank you for Stone Oak Bible Church. I thank you for, for Justin and the team and for the elders and for the staff and for the congregation and their commitment to this. Lord, I thank you for Mission Community Church, and although we haven't even launched yet for this commitment to advance the gospel and be used by you, and Lord, pray that we would continue this partnership. And Father, may we continue to pursue you, to run after you because you have pursued us, and your word says that we we love you because you first loved us. So God, again, we thank you for your grace that's shown through Jesus.